Good morning. Are you glad you exist to display the glory of God? Okay, hold out your hand this morning and kind of look at your hand. This is a hand breath. And you can take a breath and just breathe, and that's a breath. Psalm 39, 4 through 5 says this, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a breath. Our life on earth, this time here, it's just a handbreadth compared to eternity. It's just a breath. And um, this morning, the question that I want to ask is this. You know, we said last night, how do we live in hope and the suffering for the eternity? Do I think about the eternity that's coming? And the question this morning is, how do I live in the breath? How do I live in the breath? And I think the answer for us this morning is we have courage to wake up every morning and live in the breath of life because that is why we were made. We exist to display His glory of God. Our thesis sort of is this. We don't cling to comfort and self in this age, but rather we can daily lay down our lives courageously in this age to follow Him. We can live with courage in this age. The last section of Romans 8 that we're going to read, it starts with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now this is, if you're a believer, if you know any scripture, you probably know this verse. It's like the promise of all promises. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's an amazing promise if we think about that. That's amazing. And the, the issue there too to think, it says for those who love God. And we've asked this weekend, if you don't know if that's you, if you don't know if that's you, then talk about that today. Find someone to talk about it. If you don't know, am I someone who loves God? First John 4, 10 says, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We don't love God per- perfectly, but we know that he loved us. If you're a Christian, you know he loves us, and we love him in return. If that's not something that you know, then find someone, so many people to talk to about and say, is this for me? If you are a Christian, this is for you. This promise is for you. All things work together for good. Now, the Greek word for all means all. It's one of those words, it means all. It actually means each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things. So if you're wondering, does this in my life work together for good? All things. My husband, this situation, that conversation that I blew last week, is that working together for good? All things are working together for good in your life. The word for work together in Greek is synergio, and it's the word which we get synergism from, or synergy. There is, by the sovereign hand of God, a synergy and a working together of everything, each, every, any, all, everyone, everything in your life for a good purpose, 
from God. That's our sovereign God. He's working it all together. Now, this is interesting, the word for purpose, because it says according to his purpose. The word for purpose in the Greek is this. It's the same word that gets translated other places as the showbread. That is so interesting. The word for purpose is translated in other places in the New Testament. The same word is translated the showbread of God. And it's referring to the Israelites in the tabernacle. We're told by God to set out 12 loaves of bread, just briefly, 12, 12 loaves of bread to set on display, to set apart as holy as the display of his glory. So when it says we're called according to his purpose, it could be translated, we are called according to the setting forth of the display of his glory. All things are working together in your life in a synergy to display the glory of God. You were made for this. That's why he made you. Everything in our life. You know, we... um, I've told you about our adoption, and we had the, the, um, the ability to name his middle name. He was given the American name Alex, but they said you get to pick his middle name. So my husband and I thought, what should we name him? And we really wanted a name that he could identify with, and we thought and we prayed, and both of us said, Joseph. Joseph, because we thought of the story of Joseph and we thought, and he loves the story of Joseph now. We read it all the time, and he loves it. Because Joseph was abandoned by his family. Injustice was done for him. That was wrong. He was abandoned and then sold into slavery and taken to another country. And then he gets to Egypt, and what happens with Potiphar's wife? He's unjustly accused and thrown into prison. He's in prison, and his life has been a series of injustices and wrongs. We can call a spade a spade. It was wrong done to him. And yet we know at the end, when his brothers come to get the grain in Egypt, what does he say? What man meant for evil, God meant for good in my life. And that's my prayer for Alex, and it's my prayer for all of us, that we can look and say, there's been wrongs done, and we can call it wrong. But at the end of it all, we can say, God meant it for good in my life. And I pray to have a view of the sovereignty, and all of my children will have a view of the sovereignty of God like that, that God is working all things together in my life to display his glory in me. Now, I can tell you it might look messy. Does it look messy in your life right now? And you're thinking, really? Is my life displaying his glory? I think that. Here's a poem for the journal. Is there up in heaven now a chorus singing, look at how the Lord is making his name blessed in one who feels that she has messed up everything and cannot see how you are working good through me. Is it beautiful to you, though veiled to carnal eyes that view the part but not the whole down here? To angels now in heaven cheer. Is there a work of faith and grace I cannot see from this dim place when all seems off and marred to me? Is there a glorious work to be revealed in time for me to gasp and fall in praise that when I asked for you to work your will through me, you worked in ways I could not see. He's working in your life, all things, to display his glory. God's called you out for that purpose. We were called out for a purpose in this age to be used by him to display his glory to the world. 
Now, I um, have changed the, the way I pray with my children really to help me and my children understand this. I would pray, and this is a good prayer. I mean, it's a good prayer. God's not checking off our prayers, but I would used to pray, Lord, would you bless us? Would you provide for our family? Would you protect our family? Would you encourage my children? So that's a good thing to pray. I think the Lord hears that and loves that because he means for us to be the recipient of his blessing and his provision and his protection. But a couple years ago, I thought, but I want to view this as I'm not the end recipient of his blessing and provision and protection. We're the conduit of it to the world. And so I say, now with my kids, okay, Lord, would you bless our family so that we could be a blessing to others? Would you provide for our family so that we could provide for others? Lord, would you protect Luke so that Luke can protect others? Would you encourage Abigail so that Abigail can encourage others? Would you comfort Alex so that Alex can comfort others? Lord, I want to view our lives as a conduit in this age as a blessing to the world. Point number one was this. God's working all things together for good in your life. Point number two is this. God will bring it to completion in your life. No one falls out. Those who he foreknew, he ultimately glorifies. There's a perseverance of the saints. He keeps us. 1 Peter 1.5, it says, Who by God's power, you who by God's power, are guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He guards you by faith. There is a great picture in Pilgrim's Progress of this that helps me. Christian comes along and he sees a fire and the fire is burning strong and hot, but he sees a man throwing water, buckets of water, onto the fire. But the fire continues to burn. And so he looks at the interpreter and he says, what does this mean? And the interpreter says to him, that's the devil trying to extinguish the work of grace in the heart. But then he takes Christian around to the other side, and there's a man secretly, quietly, pouring oil on the fire. And the interpreter says, that's Jesus, maintaining the work already begun in the heart. Do you wake up in the morning and you feel like the, you just see the water whoo, trying to extinguish the work of faith in your grace and heart, in your heart? But do you know that on the other side, Jesus is pouring the oil on the fire to keep you? Christians keep burning, right? I think of just the buckets. We just see the buckets dousing on us. If you go to those water parks, kids' water parks these days, they have these giant buckets. Have you been there? And the kids come and it goes ding, 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 ding. Everyone goes, ah! And this huge bucket just pours out water on you. That's what the devil does in our life, right? You wake up in the morning and it's just, ah! Jesus keeps you if you're a Christian. You keep burning, um, oh man, whatever it is, we keep burning. It's hard in the conflict and the trial to believe that there's an unseen worker, God himself, pouring oil on the fire. My husband um, walked through a tragedy in his life. Um, some of many of you know him probably. But his wife, his first wife of 10 years, died four days after the birth of their first son from complications. And how do you breathe after that? And if you know my husband today, he laughs a lot. He doesn't worry about things. I'm blown. He, he helps me so much because he just doesn't worry. He says, Laurie, 
you walk through the worst case scenario and you realize God keeps you. It's like Isaiah said, you walk through the flame and you realize the flames didn't overcome me. Christ keeps us. He guards our faith. Um, Point number one is this. God's working all things together for good for a purpose. Point number two, God keeps you for that purpose. But point number three is this. He does more than just keep you. He does more than just keep you alive and sustain you. The flame is growing brighter because we are more than conquerors. How many times have you read that? We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And I personally have asked, what does that mean? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Now, John Piper helped me with this. He helped explain this in a way that that made sense. He said this, a conqueror defeats his enemy, but a more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy, but a more than a conqueror turns his enemy for his own purpose. The enemy becomes the slave. And he explained it like this, and it was so helpful. In other words, suffering and afflictions come at you. And it's not just that you get through them and you deal with them and you stay alive. No, that suffering and affliction, the loss of your wife, of your job, of your dreams, it now serves you to make you stronger. Do you see what I'm saying? Suffering is now your servant. And I caught it in your notes. I think of it like the suffering spin. God takes it and turns it around in its face and it serves you. So all the hardship, I can say, suffering, you work for me now. Multiple sclerosis, whatever hardship you bring in my life is going to serve me. Because in this age, it's going to sanctify me and make me more like Christ. It's going to cut off my selfishness and my love of comfort, and my desire for ease. It's going to deal with my idols. It's going to, in this age, help me. And in the next age, it's going to store up an eternal weight of glory. The suffering spins around in your face. We're more than a conqueror. Isn't that amazing? More than a conqueror. Johnny Erickson Tata. Jenny, if you've got the clicker, there's a picture of her here. A wheelchair, decades. She says that, sort of jokingly, but she says, I want to take my wheelchair to heaven. And she says this, Jesus, she's in heaven. She wants to say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble. Because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened if you had not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. You can click it off now. Wheelchair, you work for me. God's using you for me. How do we live in light of this? How do we live if we think of this, that God is working all things for my good, and no matter what comes at me, it's going to ultimately be used by him to accomplish his good purpose and his glory in my life. It it emboldens us to live with courage in this age, to not be afraid anymore, to not be paralyzed. I was laying in my... It was one time we were trying to find a house to rent, 
And it was a time when the rental market was really bad, and so it was everything I was coming upon was just a dead end. I would call a house, and someone had already gotten it, and then I'd find a house, and it didn't work out. And do you ever have those moments where it's just a decisive moment, you decide, I'm just going to give in to despair. And I was had a bed in this room, and I all of a sudden I said, you know what, I'm just going to lay down and cry. So I just, in a, I, said, <laughs> I just laid on the bed. I'm surrounded by papers, and I just laid down, and I just started weeping. Claude comes in, he opens the door, and he sees this scene. <laughs> papers strewn around, me laying on the bed weeping. And he is, he's a good husband for me because he looked at me in love and with power. I, I, it was so memorable because it was powerful. He said, Laurie, get up. He said, get up. I said, what? He goes, no, you get up. He said, Laurie, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You get up. And I did. I got up. And I was, you're right. You're right. Why am I despairing? Do you need someone in your life that's more to say, come on, come on, you can get up. Let's not be afraid anymore. Let's not be paralyzed anymore. God is in control of the situation. It's working for good in you, no matter what it looks like right now, no matter what a mess it looks like. God is working for good. We're so frightened in the vapor, aren't we? It's hard to remember the eternity. It seems so messy right now. It's hard to believe that there's an eternity of glory that waits that we're storing up for. Now, you may think to yourself, you don't understand, Laurie, I'm the biggest wimp in the room. Okay, I am the biggest mess in the room. I am totally ineffective. I don't know if any of you are feeling like that. No, you don't understand. You can put the next thing. It says up there in verse 33, nobody brings a charge against God's elect. Are you bringing a charge against yourself this morning? No, you don't understand. Not me. I'm totally ineffective. Nobody brings a charge against God's elect. My husband's an attorney, and he goes into these courtrooms, and prosecuting attorneys come in, and they bring a charge. That's what this means. She is guilty. That's what they do. And the judge is up there. Well, the, this scripture says that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. Picture a courtroom, a prosecuting attorney, maybe it's yourself, no, you don't understand how bad I am at this. Bringing the charge, and then you see Jesus beside the judge saying, no, she's clear. I got it. I got it. I paid for her. It's done. She is taken care of. There's no charge against her. I've taken care of that. Oh, how he loves you. And nothing, you can click off of that, nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He lists persecutions, famines, distress, peril, sword, nothing. Heights, depths, things present, things to come, rulers, powers. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loves you. No matter what happens, he loves you. Now, to get some context on this, the time of this writing is 55 to 57 A.D. So Christ resurrected a little over 20 years ago. Early church, right? These are early church Christians. They're in Rome getting this letter from Paul, presumably in some house church gatherings, reading a letter. Now, it's 55 to 57 AD. In 54 AD, just like a year before then, a new emperor had come to power. And you want you get a new emperor, and you wonder, what will he be like? Well, his name 
is Nero. Nero has just come to power when they're reading this. And at the beginning of his reign, he was not harshly persecuting Christians. So when they're reading this letter, it's a time of not harsh persecution. But in 64 AD, less than 10 years later, a fire will break out in Rome and Nero will blame the Christians. And it will be the onset of brutal persecution. Nero is going to throw them to the dogs. Nero is going to use the Christians as torches to light his parties. It will be some of the harshest, cruelest persecution that we can imagine. Do you hear that? They're reading this letter. They're reading these words. And they don't even know yet what's about to happen. I'm telling you, God, through this text, God's equipping them for some serious courage. They're going to need some serious courage. That's what Paul's writing them. That's what God's preparing them for. Nothing's going to separate you. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, nothing is going to separate you. Everything, trust me, everything is working out for good according to my purpose. And when the flame is extinguished, seems to be extinguished in your life, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to sustain you till the end. Do you hear what he's doing? He's equipping them. They needed to be equipped. And I think we as a church, we need to be equipped, don't we? We need some courage to stand up for Jesus. God's equipping us today. I want to be brave. Do you want to be brave? I want to be brave. I've got these four children, and my youngest one is three years old. And I look at him, and I think, I don't know what's coming 10 years from him. 10 years from him, I don't know what he'll need to be brave, how he'll need courage. But I don't know what to do, so I, I meet with some moms. We started this fall just praying for our children. And we get together, and it's not a chatty time. We get together, we come in, how are you doing? And we get down on our knees, and we say, God, make them brave. Please give them courage. Oaks of righteousness, give them courage, God. They're going to need some courage to walk with Jesus. We need some courage And they did in Rome, for sure. Not inoculated. I don't want my children in my own life just inoculated and numbed out by consumerism and American dreams and all this. I want to be brave for Jesus. That's what we want. I I spent some time in a Muslim country years ago, and when I got there, it so challenged me. I got there, and I met these workers that were just going for it for Christ. I got there, and we, I met with a gathering of Westerners that were working there. And no sooner had I got there than I learned that one of the men from this group was in prison in the north. He had been going up to a northern area where there was a people group that had no gospel witness, a dark, hard place. And he'd been sharing there, and he and a national worker had recently been put in prison. So I go into this group, I get there, I go into, and they're on their knees And they're praying for Jim. We'll call him Jim. Not Jim that's in some other country far away. Jim who was here last week. Jim who lives down the street. And they're praying, Lord, would you release Jim? And then the next morning, they get up and they go back out to tell people about Jesus. I I thought about that. I said, Lord, I want to be brave. They would get together. I remember one particular Sunday, they got together and they played this CD and it was... 
John Piper's sermon, he has this classic sermon on missions called Doing Missions When Dying is Gain. And they gathered around and they listened to that sermon. And then they got out the next day and they shared Jesus with people. In that sermon, he talks about this verse in Hebrews where it says they, the Hebrews joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession, an abiding one. They knew. They knew about heaven. They were storing up their treasures there. They, we've got a better possession than this and an abiding one. Let's go. Let's go. Well, during the time there, so Jim had been sharing, we'll call them the R people group, with this people group where there was no gospel witness. And uh, during my time there, just by, by some means, this college student uh, came into my life, and she, was, she wanted to speak English with me mostly, but she clearly wanted to know things about Jesus. And it was clear that the Holy Spirit was working in her life, and she whispered to me one day, she said, I have a Bible. And I said, you do? I said, have you read it? She goes, oh, no, 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 no. But, she, but she, was, she was thinking about these things. And then later, we're walking along the college campus, and she's just showing me where things are. And she takes me to the mosque on the college campus. And we walk in, we take our shoes off, and we're in this outer courtyard. And she looks at me in the mosque, and she says, why do y'all have three gods in your religion? And I said, well, okay. And it was... She was asking questions. She wanted to know. Unfortunately, I was leaving shortly after that, so I found some workers that were there. I said, you guys got to follow up with this girl. The Spirit's working in her life. And one of the workers looked at me, and he said, oh, I know that girl. She's one of the R people. I said, are you kidding me? She's a college student. He goes, oh, no, she's from that village. He said, God is working in those people. I thought of Jim in prison. And I thought of the Spirit working amongst this people group. And I thought of the verse where Jesus says, unless a kernel of the wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, right, it bears much fruit. Uh, if it dies. That's the call to follow Christ, right? It's to lay down our life and take up our cross and follow Him. Here's a little poem. Die Lord, do you really mean to place my life on what's unseen and have me lay upon a bow where sovereign hands launch weak arrows? Die? Lord, do you mean that I may ask but not receive the why of how you work and what you scheme when circumstances aren't my dream? Die? Lord, when a kernel falls, it seems its life is frail and small. But when it lands upon the ground, in the heavens does it sound to you like trumpets blaring loud, like echoes of a roaring crowd of praise and glory to your name. Do angels sing and there proclaim glory and now usher in new lives from one whose life would end. I want to follow Christ. Now, lest you think for a minute that I am in myself brave or courageous, let me tell you, this Christmas, I uh, felt the Lord leading me just to take some Christmas goodies to my neighbors. Do you have neighbors and you've never seen them? You're like, who lives in that house? You know what? It's probably a mess in there. There's a reason you never see them. And God said, I want you to go ring a doorbell and 
I was so frightened by that. Isn't that silly? But I stood at my door. Do you ever feel like that? I stood at the front door of my house with chocolate-covered pretzels. And I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, you know what I mean? <sighs> Awkward, okay? So I'm sitting there, but you know what I heard? I felt the Lord in my ear going, get up, Laurie. Get up. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Do you hear him this morning? Come on. Come on. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. Trust me. We need some courage. He wants to equip us as the church for some courage to stand up for him. I don't know what bucket will dump on you tomorrow of water, what what bucket will come in 10 years on our lives. But I know that God wants to equip us as women in the church to take up our cross and follow him. You know, I, there's a, a little blog that I love. It's uh, Pastor Scotty Smith writes these gospel-centered prayers, and it's called Heavenward. It's just been a blessing to me. But this yesterday morning, I opened it up, and he was praying through Romans 8. And this is what he said. He said, because of this hope, we will not tune out, numb out, or check out. We will seek to show up with heads up and hearts engaged Lead us, King Jesus. Lead us into your work of redemption and restoration. What will it mean for us in 2014 to love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with you in the broken places of your beloved world? What will it mean for us to walk with you, to display his glory? We were made for this. You exist for this. It's why you're here now and not there yet. Maybe it'll mean... This year, a death blow to some sin in your life. You don't have to self-protect anymore. You don't have to struggle for righteousness anymore. Maybe it'll mean you don't have to try to make heaven on earth. You can wait for it there. Maybe you hear the Spirit leading you into some new role in God's kingdom. Maybe you hear Him saying, get up, come on, come on, let's go. Maybe He's leading you to take risk for Christ and to not be afraid. God's equipping us to trust him. Let me end with this poem. If I can find it. There it is. This is, this is my life. With trembling hands, I lay my dreams at sovereign feet and wait what seems a thousand years for your decree of unveiled plans revealed to me. I thought my plans were good, and yet my stubborn grasp was gently met by wisdom, holy, pure, and good, who took my dreams and said he would take care of me and guard my heart, deal gently and with grace in part an awesome will, a glorious plan, a dream I could not dream for man is finite and will never know what God in heaven waits to show to trembling children who will lay their dreams at pierced feet and say, I'm scared, and yet I lay myself before the cross. Lord, have my health, my children, spouse, my home, my plans, and let me trust what you command. Let me pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this weekend. 
I'm so thankful for these women, and we're thankful for you, that you've been here with us, and you've revealed to us a little bit more of what it means to see your glory, to long for that, to want that. And so, Lord Jesus, would you help us? We need courage. We need you desperately. We require you urgently. We need courage. Would you help us, Jesus? This week we pray in your name. Amen.